Well, the Lord, I felt like all day, all day yesterday, I felt like God was, was, was talking to me about this service this morning and uh, just trying to sort through it and trying to, 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 uh, to land on exactly what it was God was saying. I feel like I've got a message this morning for somebody. And um, it's one of those times when you're just not sure if it's somebody here, if it's somebody online, but I feel certain it's somebody. It's somebody God wants to talk to today. And so I'm asking the church if you would get under this burden with me and help me today. Amen. Would you do that? Would you really do that today? Amen. 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 It's a cold spring morning, but we need some fire around this place today. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost to burn bright because I want God to touch some hearts today. And I believe God wants to do exactly that. I believe God wants to save some folks today. And there are people, I believe, under the sound of my voice, who need to be saved. Well, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And so, if you would turn with me, we're going to two passages of Scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. And Luke chapter 23. Matthew 21 and Luke 23. Matthew 21 and Luke 23. And while you're turning there again, please let's let's work this week to get someone here for Easter Sunday. Next week's going to be a great time. One service and then a meal following. And then we're only, uh, at this point, three weeks. Next week, we'll only be two weeks away from our 25th pastoral anniversary services. And we're looking forward to that, expecting a great time during that weekend as well. And um, I don't know if I've mentioned it to the church, but I got a call the other day from a man that um, I... uh, uh, that, that actually prayed through in the church in, in my first pastorate when I was 24 years old. And I haven't seen him now in some 30 plus years. And he is going to be here for the 25th anniversary. He's, he's preaching the gospel now. And uh, I'm excited about that. That's, that's, that's great. And so we're looking forward to a wonderful time, wonderful time. Amen. That's coming up just a few weeks. Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse number 8. Excuse this voice of mine today. I guess the change in the weather. It's not old age. Old age is all the aches and pains and everything else I've got. But I've had this voice problem for a long time. Amen. Matthew 21, verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down 
branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then turning to Luke 23. And I, let, let me tell you, just mark, put, somehow mark Matthew chapter 21. Because we're going to come back to this. We're coming back to this in a little while. So don't lose that. Uh, I'm going to show you something here that's extremely important to what I want to talk about. Luke chapter 23 and verse 20. Luke 23 verse 20. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried. They cried. Now, what we just read in Matthew, the Bible says they cried. They cried, Hosanna. Now, in Luke 23, they cried, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I've found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. So, in Matthew 21, they are crying, Hosanna. In Luke 23, they are crying, crucify him. And I might point out to you that the word they is, for the most part, referring to the same group of people. Uh, I want to, I want to talk to you this morning on this thought. Conflicting cries from a confused crowd. Conflicting cries from a confused crowd. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, and let's, let's talk to God. And church, I, I really am calling on you. I feel such a burden this morning. And I want you to pray that God would let you get under this same burden. I want to reach somebody today. I want to reach somebody today. Would you, would you pray that God would help you to help me today. Let's let's pray together. Lord Jesus. God, I ask you, Lord, that you would grant me anointing, grace, unction, strength, wisdom, oh God. Lord, help me to deliver the burden of my heart today. I believe, God, that you have put this upon my heart. That you within my spirit, oh God, to deliver this message unto this people. I ask you, Lord, help me now. Lord God, 
touch my lips. The call from off the altar of heaven. Lord Jesus said, let me speak as the oracle of God today. Lord, let conviction touch the hearts of those who are not right with you. God, I pray today to a work in this house and touch hearts, God, of those that are listening online. God, I want to see somebody saved. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you reach out to him one more time in worship before you're seated right now, everybody. Let's give God the kind of worship he really deserves. Can we do that? Come on, give him what he deserves. Not necessarily what you're feeling right now, but what he deserves. Hallelujah. He deserves the very best. He deserves the very best. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Master. You are so good to us, God. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Praise God, praise God, praise God. God bless you, you may be seated. Amen. What I have read to you today, though it comes from two different gospels, it is a part of a continuing story. And if we simply take this story from the passage I read in Matthew to the passage that I read in Luke, it is a story that goes from triumph to tragedy. It goes from triumph to tragedy. The triumph, of course, is what we have come to know as the triumphal entry. It took place on a Sunday, a Sunday that's being celebrated even today. It is called Palm Sunday. Uh, it is one week prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This story is one of the very few stories that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, uh, way back when I, when I was teaching through uh, the Gospels, I mentioned how that each Gospel will relay uh, and relate different stories or even different perspectives. Uh, and there really aren't very many stories that, that appear in every Gospel. Uh, there are several that appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John for, for whatever reason, did not include some of those stories. His gospel is very, very unique in the things that he chose to record. Uh, not that there's contradiction, it's just unique. But, but this story, the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is in all four of the gospels. Now, as I have illustrated uh, this morning by my text, we are looking at Matthew's account of this story for our purposes today. Uh, and so I want to look at it, and I told you, I want you to, to, to mark Matthew 21, and we're, we're going to look at a few verses here in this chapter. There's a lot here besides just the two verses that I read as my text that are important to this story. 
And so we're going to take a few moments. This is Sunday morning. It is normally Bible study time. And we're going to take a few moments and we're going to study what really happened. We're going to study what comes before and after. And by the way, uh, while I'm thinking about it, it has nothing to do with my lesson, but I just don't want you to be startled. I was given notice that at some point during the lesson today, downstairs they're teaching on the rapture. There is going to be a trumpet sound. And when you hear a trumpet sound and I don't disappear, that doesn't mean anything. All right. Um, so I just didn't want anybody to, to get startled and start having second thoughts. Um, they, they, they are teaching about the rapture downstairs. And, and uh, uh, just because you look around, Brother Nelson's the only one gone. Uh, it, 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 it just so happens he's the one that's going to be down there blowing the trumpet. All right. So, so, uh, so, so. <laughs> All right. Let's, 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 let's see if we can get back to some serious business here. Praise God. Uh, just, I meant to say that before I ever got started. So you won't be startled either. I appreciate them giving me warning. Um, I might should have just not said anything. We might have had a great altar call. I don't know. Um, Praise God. All right. So, so uh, we're, we're going to look at some things here in Matthew chapter 21. And, and I, want, I, want to, uh, I want to show you some things about this triumphal entry that are important to where we're going and what we're going to discuss today. So, so as Jesus was preparing for this, this entry into Jerusalem, uh, let's read, Brother Goff, verses 2 and 3 from Matthew chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village the over village. against you, uh -huh. and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Right. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. Just, just say, The Lord has need of them. And straightway and he straightway will send them. He will. Now, I, you know, when I read this, it, it strikes me. It really strikes me. It's very, very interesting. Uh, first of all, Jesus said, If... If this happens, and of course, when you get to reading it, it does happen. Uh, Jesus is relaying to them that uh, you need to, to go in and get this, this, uh, this donkey, and, and you need to get her and her colt, and we're going to need them for something that is about to take place. And, uh, and, and I want you to know that, that you just go ahead and go out there and get her. You're, you're going to see her there. And when you see her, you don't have to ask permission. You just go and get her. And, and should somebody come out and say, what are you doing taking my donkey? What do you think you're doing? You just say the Lord has need of her and everything's going to be all right. Now, now, now look, I'm going to tell you. It, it amazes me, it, it strikes me as highly interesting that Jesus knew the owner of these animals so well that he was confident that all it would take for the man 
to release them was that the man would have knowledge that the Lord needed them. If only every one of us had such a heart to give up anything for the kingdom of God, amen, regardless of what it might cost us personally. If we know the kingdom needs it, that's all we need to hear. Well, are you going to help me this morning? I know I'm already stepping on toes as we get started, but I'm just making a point. This man was not promised he would get them back. He wasn't told that he was going to be paid for them. All he knew was the Lord needs it, and he said, that's going to be just fine. Well, praise God. Now listen, this was not mere supposition on the part of Christ. What he suggested might happen did happen. We read about this in Mark chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without it in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. Uh And certain of them that stood there said unto him, them, what do ye, loosing the colt? What are you doing? And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded. And, and so they said what Jesus told them to say. And they let them go. And that's all that was necessary. I'm telling you, listen to me, church. God knows the hearts. He knows the hearts. We don't hide anything from him. We don't cover anything up when it comes to God. There is nothing buried when it comes to God. He knows all things. You might fool man. You might fool the preacher. But you're not fooling God. Amen. Read for me Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old? Yes. For I am God. I am God. There is none there else. There is none else. I am God. I am God. There is none There's like me. There is none like me. Declaring the end I from the beginning. I declare the end from the beginning. From ancient from times, ancient things, times that the things that are not yet done. Saying, my, saying, counsel, my shall counsel shall stand. And I will do all and I will my pleasure. do all my pleasure. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God knows all things. And God has declared all things. Is anybody going to help me this morning? God is like no one else. And when he says something's going to happen, it happens. That's the kind of God he is. Now listen, listen, listen. Jesus said, the Lord has need of this coat. Now why did he have need of this coat? Why was this coat so important to Jesus? Was it just so he could take a ride? Well, I I guess to one degree it was so he could take a ride, but it wasn't necessarily the ride that was so important. What was so important was the fact that this ride had been prophesied. You still got your Bible open to Matthew 21? All right, now we we left off at verse 3. Let's pick up with verse 4. Read verses 4 and 5. All this was done. All this was done. That it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by the prophet. Which was spoken by the prophet saying. 
Tell ye the daughter of Tell Zion. Tell ye the daughter of Zion. Behold, Behold thy king, thy cometh, king unto cometh unto thee. Me, sitting upon an ass. Sitting upon an ass. And a foal. And, and a, a colt, colt, the foal, the of, an foal of an ass. Listen, what he was doing was he was reaching back hundreds of years. Zechariah had made a prophecy. Read what Zechariah said. Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, Rejoice o, daughter greatly o daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king, king cometh unto thee. He is just. He is just. And having salvation, and having salvation lowly, lowly riding upon an ass, and upon a coat, the foal of an ass. I'm telling you why Jesus had need of this donkey because he had prophesied. Amen. It had been spoken hundreds of years before, and not one word of all that God has spoken will ever fall. Amen. Not one word of all that God has spoken will ever fail. Everything that the Lord has ever prophesied has always come to pass. And when he moved upon the prophet Zechariah to say, the king's coming and he's riding. He's riding on a donkey. And he's going to bring that little colt with him. When that was prophesied, Jesus said, well, in order to fulfill this, we're going to need a donkey and a colt. And Jesus knew exactly where there was a donkey and a colt. And he knew where there was one that was owned by a man who, when asked to give it up for the Lord, was willing to give it up for the Lord. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, Zechariah said, he said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Amen. Can we put that back up there for just a moment? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This word greatly, according to uh, one uh, Hebrew scholar said that the word means uh, exceedingly. Another said it means vehemently. One commentator said that God commanded his people to burst out into a jubilee of rejoicing. They were to dance and shout for gladness of spirit. This word greatly means that there should be no measure whatever in their exaltation. In other words, God said, when he said rejoice greatly, he said, don't even put a limit on it. You let this rejoicing reach a place that nobody can measure it. I don't want it to stop. I don't want it to be limited. I want you to rejoice because your king is coming to you. Well, I wish we could get about a third of that kind of rejoicing going on around here today. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Oh, daughter of Zion, because your king is coming unto you. 
Your king is coming unto you. So rejoice. Rejoice vehemently. Rejoice exceedingly. Rejoice without measure. Rejoice without measure. And so they did exactly what it had been prophesied that they would do. When Jesus rode into the gates of Jerusalem on that donkey. Let's go back and read the verses that I used as my text. This is verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 21. Read these verses for me again, if you would. Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Spread their garments. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. They cut down branches and they strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They started crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he Blessed that comes in the name of the Lord. That comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in Hosanna the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Now, let me just tell you, when they said Hosanna to the son of David, I, I, I said this not too long ago, but when they use that term, the son of David, do you understand that they are specifically referring to the heir of David's throne? They are recognizing this to be the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. They are recognizing that this is the Messiah. In fact, the word Hosanna simply means, oh, save. It is an exclamation of adoration and a plea for salvation. Well, hallelujah. They're saying you are our Messiah. Now save us. You're our Messiah. You're our King. You are David's heir. Save us. We're ready for salvation. That's what you're here for. That's what we've longed for. That's what our fathers have told us about. It's finally here. The moment has come. Our hour has arrived. Messiah has come through the gates of Jerusalem. It's time. Save us. And that's, that's further proven in the next two verses. Read verses 10 and 11. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, King James, King James says, The prophet. The prophet. But perhaps a better translation when you look at it in the original. It's not just the prophet. But this is Jesus. That prophet. Now the reason it's significant that you say that prophet. Because then it's not just one of the prophets. But they are specifically identifying him. He's that prophet. 
Now, what do they mean by that? Well, that's a term that the Jews uh, were familiar with. And, and it referenced Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. Read Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. I will raise them up a prophet. I'm going to raise them brethren, up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto, like thee, unto thee. And I will put my words, put my in, words his in his mouth. And he shall speak He's going to speak unto them all that, all that I, I command. command. Now listen, this was one of the verses that the Jews considered to be a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Messiah was going to be a prophet. And so when they said, the, the, the multitude said, uh, the people of the city said to the multitude, who is this? They said, this is Jesus, that prophet. Amen. This is the fulfillment of what Moses told us about. This is the Messiah we've been waiting on. This is he. This is the one. This is who our fathers told us about. This is the one our souls have been longing for. This is the one we've been praying for all of these years, all of these centuries. Amen. I'm telling you, the commentators, the commentators agree that every expression of the multitude plainly declared that they fully received him at that moment as their Messiah. They recognized him to be who he was. That's why they're crying, save us. That's what Messiah is going to do. Save us. Save us. He's here. It's what we've wanted. It's what we've waited on. It's what we've longed for. And he's here. Do it now. Messiah, save us now. The time has come. The moment has arrived. Save us, son of David. And this is Sunday. And yet, less than a week later, Jesus is once again the focal point of the crowd. And once again, the crowd is crying. Now on Sunday, they recognized him as Messiah. And they cried, save, O Lord. And just a few days later, they're crying something totally different. Read it for us again, Brother Goff, Luke 23, verses 20 through 23. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Crucify and he said unto them the third time, he said, why, what why? evil hath he done? What's he done? I have found no cause I, I of death in him. Cause of death in I him. will therefore chastise let, him let and chastise let him go. Him and, and let him go. And they were instant and with loud voices. Instantly they cried with loud voices. Requiring that he might be crucified. And required. And the voices of them crucified. and of the chief priest prevailed. Now many times we say the chief priest put him to death, but listen to me. It wasn't just the chief priests calling for his death that day. It was the same crowd who just a few days before 
was praying to him as their Messiah, saying, save us. They're now screaming to Pilate, kill him. How can this be? How can they go from claiming he's the Messiah and asking him to save them to claiming he's worthy of death within a matter of a few short days? One commentator said this, how strange it is that these same people should about five days after change their hosannas for away with him, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle is the multitude. Even when they get right, there is but little hope that they will continue so long. Now, I don't, I don't have time today to develop my case. But I do want to tell you this. While I agree with some of what this commentator said, Crowds can be fickle. Number one, I, I think there is more involved here than just being fickle. And I'm going to prove that to you. And number two, he's wrong about the number of days involved. It didn't take five days for them to change their mind. This crying crucify him was not five days later. Now, he's basing that, he's basing that five days on the thought that Palm Sunday, they're crying Hosanna, and then tradition says he was crucified on a Friday. That's why we talk about Good Friday. Tradition says he was crucified on a Friday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days later. Uh, if you were listening to my podcast back in... April of last year, if you want to, if you weren't listening, you can go back and find it. It was episode 16. I don't know that off the top of my head. I had to look it up. But you can go back and find episode 16 dated April the 10th of 2020. And I went into detail in that episode proving that Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. In spite of what tradition says. I don't have time to develop the case. So if you got questions, I would just tell you, go to the website, find episode number 16. You're going to have to scroll a long ways down. But it's there, and I prove it to you from the Scripture that it was not Friday. This is a tradition that's based on a misunderstanding of one verse of Scripture. And, and just, just suffice it to say, Jesus said he would be in the grave three days and three nights. And there is no way you can get three nights out of him being crucified on a Friday and being resurrected on a Sunday. And we know that they went to the tomb on the first day of the week and it was already empty. So if he was out of the grave on Sunday, there's no possible way, no possible way for him to have been crucified on Friday. I don't care how you count it. You've only got Friday night and Saturday night. You can't get three nights out of that. I don't care how you do it. Go back, listen to it. I talk about it. I discuss it. It's all there. I don't have time to go into it today. But it's just another one of those traditions like 
how many of each kind of animal Noah took on the ark? And how many wise men went to the manger? And, you know, it's just, just another one of those traditions that people have picked up and talked about, and it's become widespread, and everybody believes it. And scripturally, it's just not accurate. He was not crucified on a Friday. And I know people say, but the Bible says it had to get his body down because of the Sabbath, and that's right. Listen to the podcast. There was more than one kind of Sabbath to the Jews. Not just the Saturday Sabbath, but there were holiday Sabbaths. So, anyhow, I said I wasn't going to deal with it. I got to move on. Got to move on. Listen to the podcast. Find it. Praise God. Got to move on. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was at the most four days. And very likely only three. Now think about it. They're saying, your Messiah, save us. And very likely only three days later, they're saying, crucify him. Now that's not just being fickle. There's something else at play here. There's something else going on here that would cause them to make that kind of change in their mind. And I want to tell you what I believe that it was. I believe the biggest problem was that the Jewish people had come to a place that they had an expectation for what the Messiah was going to do that was different than what he was actually coming to do. You see, to the Jews, their religion was perfect. What they needed saving from was their political bondage. What they needed saving from were the Roman oppressors. They were now dominated by a foreign country. They were under the control of those Gentiles who worshipped pagan idols. And these Gentiles were controlling their lives and taxing them and taking their money and 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 uh, uh, putting limits on their livelihood and making it difficult for them to follow their religion. And so at some point along the way, they decided Messiah is coming to liberate us from Rome. You know, Pilate didn't help matters. There had always been bad blood between the Jews and the Romans. And, and Pilate really didn't help matters much. He, he really didn't. Um, and I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to bore you with history that's maybe not all that interesting to you. But Pilate did a number of things while he was the Roman uh, governor uh, that really upset the Jews. He, he, posted, he posted flags, banners, uh, very close to the Jewish temple that had images of the Roman emperor. 
And the Jews considered that idolatry. They, they felt like it was a slap in their face because you understand the Roman, uh, the Roman government was built on an idea that the emperor was God. And so to put his image close to the temple was a slap in their face. And here Pilate puts these flags with with the emperor's image close to the temple of their God. And then and then he he not only did that, he at some point in history doesn't tell us why the Bible does even make reference to this. Jesus made reference to it, but but we don't know why. History it's recorded that it happened outside of the Bible. But it doesn't tell us why. But for some reason, Pilate decided to go in. There was a group of Galileans that were trying to offer sacrifice to God. And Pilate put them to death. And, 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 and that didn't help. That, that upset the Jews even more. And then, and then Pilate decided that they needed an aqueduct. They needed, they needed a way to transport some water across, you know, the area and the region, and he didn't quite have the money to do it, so he decided those Jews had some money in their temple treasury that he could access, and he raided the temple treasury and took some of their money out of the temple treasury and decided to help build this aqueduct. Now, you can imagine how that made the Jews feel. So, so I'm just, this is part of the reason why the Jews had come to a place. I mean, Let's let's talk about it. I mean, let's think about it. How would we feel? How would you feel if you pulled up on the parking lot today and and there were flags of the president? I don't care which party he was a member of, but flags with the president's face flying right outside our door. And I, again, I don't care which president and which party. I wouldn't be happy about that. The government posted them there. If the government suddenly decided that they just wanted to get into our bank account and start pulling money out to pay for highways, I'm not going to be happy about that. And all of these things. And then, you know, we, we, we find out that some member of, of, of one of our churches was put to death while they're worshiping. We're not going to be happy about it. And we're going to be crying to God to spare us and to get us out of that. So, so let's, not, let's not just look down on them for this, but, but understand that at some point they lost the real focus of what Messiah was about, and they made him a political deliverer. And so when he came and they're saying, save, O oh Lord, you got to understand what they're asking him to save them from. Save us from Rome. Save us from the government. Save us from oppression. Set us free as a nation. Give us our liberty to be ourselves again. Give us our country back. Oh, I feel like preaching a little bit here. I feel like preaching a little bit here. If we're not careful... We can get caught up in that same attitude. And we can spend more time fighting our government 
more time praying against our government. Help me, Jesus. And it became their only focal point. And when they cried out, save, oh Lord, they meant it. They meant it from the bottom of their hearts, they meant it. This was not just fickleness, they meant it. They really wanted to be saved, but they only wanted to be saved from Rome. But you got to understand that he rides through the gates of Jerusalem and they're saying, this is it. This is it. He's Messiah. He's going to come in now and he's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to kick those Romans out. He's going to start throwing their swords and spears. He's going to build an army. He's going to gather a militia. It's about over. We're going to become a free people again. And then the very first thing he does. Still got your Bible open to Matthew 21. Still got your Bible open. Now, now look, we read, we read Matthew 21. And uh, 8 and 9 was a text. They're crying Hosanna. 10 and 11 They're saying he's that prophet. He's the Messiah. That was verse 11. So verse 12, look at what happens. Verses 12 and 13, read. And Jesus went into the temple of God. So they just finished saying he is Messiah. And he's come to save us. In their mind, save us from Rome. And he gets off that donkey. And he walks into not the Roman government, but into the Jewish temple. Read. And cast and out all of them that sold. starts casting out those that sold and bought in the temple. And, overthrew and he the overthrew of the money changers. He's not overthrowing Rome. He's overthrowing their religion. He overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And you made it a den of thieves. Is anybody understanding what I'm telling you? They had this expectation. He's going to come in there and start kicking the Romans around. And instead, they no sooner say, you're Messiah, until he starts kicking Jews around. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is not what we expected. This is not what we bargained for. We're comfortable in this religion. We've been walking into this temple buying these doves and we've been transacting this business for, this is the way things have been for a long time. This has been our tradition for a long time. What do you you think you're doing? Are you on the Roman side? Now, now look, I, I, I really, I've got to hurry here this morning. But I, I would point out to you, and I, I won't take the time to read it. We'll skip this next passage. 
But, but I would point out to you, this is, of course, at the end of his ministry because we're now in what's called the Passion Week. This is one week before his resurrection, just a few days before his crucifixion, that he goes in and cleanses the temple. If, if, if the book of John is written uh, in chronological order, John chapter 2, he performs the miracle at the wedding of Cana, which John said was his first miracle. And then immediately after that, the next thing he does is go into the temple and cleans the temple out, overthrowing the tables of the money changers. So it appears to me that he did it twice. He did it once at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it again at the end of his ministry, which says to me his convictions didn't change. He stayed the same. I'm going to tell you, there's a lesson in that for apostolics everywhere that have decided that suddenly these things that we've held to are not applicable in 2021. That suddenly the things we've always preached against don't matter anymore. It's, you know, we, we, we got to get up to date with all this. None of that. God help us. Jesus believed the same thing in the last few days of his ministry as what he believed in the beginning of his ministry. It didn't change. Matthew Henry said, he said, those things which are driven out of the temple will return and nestle there again if there be not a continual care and oversight to to prevent it and if the blow be not followed and often repeated. I'm telling you, for every one of us, we can't think that we can just drive things out of our own hearts today and it's forever gone. We're going to have to make frequent trips back in there and cast them out again and cast them out again and cast them out again. If you've ever had a weakness in your life, you better keep an eye on it and you better recognize I got a problem right there. There's a chink in my armor. I better stay on top of this. Well... Help me, Jesus. And then, and then, and then, if you're still looking at Matthew 21, verse 14, what happened as soon as he cleaned the temple out? And the blind Blind and the lame lame came to him in the temple, and and he healed them. He healed them. And I would just say this. There's a biblical principle, I believe, that we see right here, and that is healing follows cleansing. Healing follows cleansing. Sometimes people want it the other way around. Lord, if you'll fix this problem, if you'll fix this problem, then I'll get right with you. I've, I've dealt with that so many times. I'm telling you, there are people I've tried to work with. Well, if God would just do this, and if God would just do this, and if God would just do this, then I'd get right. Then I could be able to serve him. Then I could be able to... No, 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 no. You get right with God, and then let God start fixing all those problems. I don't don't have time for all these little rabbit trails, but let's, let's skip on down here. Now, now I want you to see something else. Verse 15, let's go 
here in Matthew 21. I feel like I'm teaching from the book of Matthew again. Matthew 21, verse 15. It's been so long ago, some of you don't remember, and some of you never heard it, so it's fine. Matthew 21, verse 15. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Now, now the chief priests and the scribes, they saw the wonderful things that he did, and they were sore displeased. But, but here's something else I want to show you in this. There was still some crying that was going on in the temple. There was still someone saying Hosanna to the son of David. But did you notice who? Did you notice who is saying Hosanna? It's the children. Now, if you think I'm just making a big to-do over nothing and that really I'm carrying this point too far and that that's not what the Scripture means, the only way you could think that is because you haven't yet read verse 16 because verse 16 makes it clear that when it says children, it literally means it was the children. It was not the adults. The adults who just moments before had been saying Hosanna, at this point, quit saying it. They've already started changing their mind. Let's prove it. Just go ahead and read verse 16 so I can prove my point. And said unto him, hearest thou what these say? The, the, the chief priests and the scribes said to Jesus, do you hear what these say? And Jesus, and Jesus unto said them, to them, yea, have ye never, have you read, never read out of the mouth of, the of babes, of babes and, sucklings? and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. Now, you tell me, was he taught, was it just the children or was it not just the children? It was just the children. The adults had already abandoned their opinion. So it wasn't a matter of five days. It wasn't a matter of four days or three days. The minute he came against their religion, they started changing their opinion. This is not what we wanted. We want to be saved, but we want to be saved from our political oppressors. We want you to leave our religion alone. We want you to leave our traditions alone. We want you to leave our lifestyle alone. Overthrow the politicians, but don't touch our religion or our traditions or our lifestyle. Well, now, now look, I've got to, I've got to hurry here, but let me, let me just. Because I'm not teaching in the book of Matthew and and because I don't have that basis to build on today uh, of you having heard me talk about all these things for a number of weeks. i got to remind you of some things. Everything, we're in Matthew 21, everything that took place from Matthew 21 through the last chapter, Matthew 28, at least through the middle of Matthew 28, the very last few verses may have been, um, you know, after his 40 days before he ascended. But, but um, basically, we can say that everything from chapters 21 through 28, really, really, um, in those chapters, 
they, the first 20 chapters deal with, 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 with 33 years of his life. But these last eight chapters took place in seven days. There's eight chapters devoted to seven days of his life. Now, stay with me. But, but three of those days, he's in the grave. So those days really aren't addressed. Except that he was put in the grave and then they come back to the grave and he's out. So you just kind of take those three days out. So that leaves us with really four days of his life. And um, chapter 27 really deals with one day, the day of his crucifixion. So 28 is the day of his resurrection. So you got chapters 21 through 26 covering really the last three days of his life. Six chapters covering the last three days of his life. And I, I obviously, I'm not going to deal with everything that happens in those three chapters, but, but understand, I mean, those six chapters, but understand that in those six chapters, in those three days, he basically spent those three days preaching and teaching, for the most part, issuing warnings of the judgment that was coming. He was letting the Jews know you are in trouble with God. So understand, they're crying, Hosanna! And he walks directly into their temple, overthrows the tables, chases the money changers out, and then spends the next three days preaching against their religion. So do you start to comprehend why when he's brought before Pilate and Pilate said, I just want to let him go. That all of a sudden they've changed their opinion. It's really not so much all of a sudden. The fact of the matter is they had wanted someone to save them. But they wanted them, they wanted him to save them from something in particular. And it was not what he had come to save them from. What he did come to save them from, they were not interested in finding salvation for. Do you know what he came to save them from? Matthew 121 tells us. Now she shall bring me. forth a son. Stay with me here. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt Thou call, shalt his, call name his name Jesus, Jesus for he for shall he save shall his save. people he shall save. from their he sins. He shall save his people from their sins. Israel, this is your problem. Your problem's not Rome. Your problem is not oppressors. Your problem is not that, uh, that procurator. Your, your problem's not Pilate. Your problem's not the soldier. Your problem's not the tax collector. Rome, Rome is not your problem. Your problem is what's in your heart. 
He came to save you. He came to set you free from the real bondage. You just don't know where that bondage is. The real bondage is not political oppression. The real bondage is the bondage of sin. You are slaves to sin and you don't even know it. He came to set you free from the slavery of sin. And in order to save them from sin, he had to overthrow their religion. Because I'm here to tell you, religion has a way of disguising and covering and hiding sin and never really dealing with it. Oh, I feel like I could preach a while. Why do you think so many of these televangelists get quote unquote discovered? Because religion covers up sin. And all of these false ways of being saved. Just accept the Lord as your Savior. Just believe on the Lord. You know what people are doing? They're just covering up sin. They're just covering up sin. They're letting you come in an alcoholic. You just accept the Lord and you walk right back out an alcoholic. You, you, you come in a drug addict, just believe on the Lord and you walk right back out a drug addict. They're just hiding your sin. I'm going to tell you, Jesus came to overthrow religion. You hear me, you hear me. If you're listening online today, the truth church is not about religion. We're not here to try to get you to join a church. We're not here to try to get you to be a part of an organized religion. We are here to introduce you to somebody that wants to set you free from the bondage of sin. Whatever's got you bound, I know a man that can break those chains. I know a man that can liberate your soul. Hallelujah. Sadly, 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 Brother Albritton, I've dealt with so many that when I show them in the scripture, what they need to do. The problem is that means overthrowing their religion. That means walking away from their traditions. That means abandoning the way they've been raised. They don't want a Messiah like that. Just give me something that'll soothe my conscience. Just give me something. Oh, I feel like preaching. Just, 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 just give me a Jesus that'll let me sleep at night believing that I'm okay. Just give me a Jesus that, that won't deal with all the things I'm comfortable with. He'll, 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 he'll get me out of whatever problems I might have. Oh, are you hearing me today? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, many people come to Jesus wanting him to save them from the consequences of their criminal activities. I'm telling you the truth. I, I, look, 
Look, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. And I want you to know if you're listening today and you've got some kind of criminal past, Jesus can save you. But he's not promising that he's going to eradicate your record. He's not promising that he is going to expunge the crimes that you've been found guilty of. But that's why some people come to him. They come running to him because they believe that's what he's going to do. Save me, Lord. What they mean is get me out of this trouble. Can I just be honest? There are people, there are people who come to him because they want him to save them from the consequences of their criminal activities. There are some who want them to save them. Amen. Want him to save them from reaping the harvest of bad choices they've made in their lives. They've wrecked their homes. They've destroyed their children. And they come running to Jesus. Put it back together, Lord. Put it back together. Let me tell you something. He can. He can. But I'm going to tell you, if he does, that's one of the extra benefits. But he came for something much, much deeper than that. I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, there are even people who sit in the church that that's the only reason they ever come to him. They come to him to be a Messiah that will help them with their problems. I know what I think I need help with, and that's all I want you to fix. But the things that I love, the things that I hold dear, don't touch those things, Jesus. Don't talk about those things, preacher. Don't get on those things. I don't want you to bother me about the things that I am comfortable with. I understand. You're crying, save me. And you mean it. But what you want salvation from is not what he came to save you from. He came to save you from sin. Again, don't misunderstand me. I've watched him put lives back together. I've seen him help people. I've seen him put marriages together. I've seen him heal broken hearts. I've seen him get people out of jail sentences. I've seen him do it. But there are others that he didn't do that for. Because that's not what he promised. And that's not what he came for. He came to save his people from their sin. You see, sin is a killer. Ezekiel 18 and 4, I'm trying to hurry, I'm trying to hurry. Behold, all sins are, souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine, and the soul and that the sinneth, soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall 
die. Oh, that's Old Testament preacher. Yeah, I know. But it's confirmed in the new Romans 6 and 23 says this. For the wages of wages sin is death. Of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I'm telling you. Through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. God sees sin like a cancer on your soul. There are people who go running to the doctor. I've got this headache. I've got this headache. And they examine it. And they, they do the x-rays. They say, sir, you've got a cancer. We've got to do, no, no, no. Don't, don't touch the cancer. Leave the cancer alone. Just, just treat the headache, would you? Just give me something for the headache. Leave the, that's what some of you are doing with your soul. That's what you're doing. You're asking God to just treat the headache. You're asking God to put a band-aid where it's bleeding. And God's looking at a cancer. That's going to kill you. He wants to save you. He wants to spare you from the death that sin is going to bring. God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. John 10 and 10 says this. The thief cometh not, thief comes not, but for to steal, steal and to kill, kill and to destroy. To destroy. I have come that I've they might come. have life so and that they may, have might life. have it more abundantly. I didn't come for you to die. I came so you could live and I want that life to be abundant life. I want it to be abundant life. I want it to be abundant life. But the only way it can, we got to deal with that sin. We got to get that sin out of there. It's going to require radical surgery, but we got to get the sin out. There are too many people who believe they can claim Jesus as their Messiah and continue in sin. That's what the Jews wanted. Just get rid of these Romans. And let me tell you, if Jesus had overthrown Rome, they would have continued on in their hypocritical ways. I'm just telling you the truth. Mistreating their brothers. They would have gone on. They would have gone on doing all the things that they were doing wrong. He didn't come. To deliver them from what they wanted to be delivered from. And there are too many Christians that want a Messiah to deliver them on their terms. But they want to hang on to their sin. Paul said this, Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall, what we, shall say we, then? we say then? Shall we continue shall in we sin continue that grace in may sin? abound? That grace may abound. God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live long, any longer therein? We can't. We can't. The Messiah came to set you free from sin. He came to save you from sin. Saying that you can be saved and just keep on sinning is like saying, I can maintain this cancer in me and I'll just keep living like nothing's wrong. Cancer doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And neither does sin.
Musicians, I want you to come begin to play softly if you would. Listen to me. The sin, the sin must be addressed. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 37, the crowd realized something had to happen. Read verse 37 for me. Now when they heard, when this, they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. Said unto Peter and to, the rest, to Peter the, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We're dying. We're dying. Our religion hasn't helped us. Getting rid of the Romans is not going to help us. Tell us what to do, Peter. What shall we do? Now, look, the first thing you got to do, you got to deal with the sins of your past. That's the first thing. So, verse 38, he starts out. Then Peter said unto them, them, repent. Repent. And be baptized, baptized, every one of you, you, in the name of Jesus Christ, Christ. for the remission of sins. All right, stop right there. First of all, repent. Ask God to forgive you of those sins. Recognize those sins are killing you. Recognize it's not the oppression of the government. Recognize it's not the brokenness of your family. Recognize it's not the threat of incarceration. Recognize it's sin that's the problem. And ask God to forgive you of that sin. Repent. And when you repent, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. That's what gets the sin off your record. Now that takes care of the past sins, but what about tomorrow? And what about the next day? Because sin's coming back. And we got to be able to deal with it when we face it. When the temptation arises again, how do we deal with it? Well, Peter addressed that in the remainder of the verse, and here's what he said. And ye shall receive receive the the gift gift of the Holy Ghost. Of the Holy Ghost. This is the answer in dealing with the sins of the future. The Holy Ghost will give you the power to fight off sin. It gives you the power to overcome sin. The Holy Ghost really is just God's Spirit living inside of you to make you holy, to help you be holy. It'll help you fight those carnal desires. It'll help you overcome that drive within you. It will deliver you from your addictions. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You say, but can I have it? Well, Peter dealt with that too. Read verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
Yes, the promise is yours. You can have it today. He'll give you this same power if you'll ask Him. It's not deliverance. It's not deliverance from incarceration. It's not deliverance from the threat of someone else. What you need is deliverance from sin. And if you can get deliverance from sin, God will help you with everything else. He'll put the pieces of your life together in every other way. But the main thing is you've got to learn to let Him be the Messiah who came to save you from sin. If that means throwing away your religion, then throw it away. If that means discarding your tradition, then discard it. If that means giving up your lifestyle, then give it up. But let Him set you free from your sin. Let's stand this morning. These altars are open. God's reaching for somebody today. I feel it. I feel it. Maybe you're listening online. I want to tell you right where you're at. Your living room. If you're driving down the road, you can pull over on the shoulder right now. Let those tears flow. God sees the brokenness of your heart. God loves you. He cares about you. God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from the bondage of sin. He wants to deliver you.